The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. I am Kiki, wife and mother of four. I met my husband when I was 18. I was pregnant by 19. I was blessed enough to stay home with the children while my husband worked outside of the home. We were so consumed with life of raising the children that we forgot about each other. Uh, The routine left to no communication, no time with each other. Um, We then separated. Um, I was devastated. Didn't understand why um, this was happening to us. I was lost. I was broken. I was angry. I was hurt. I I couldn't function. Uh, Hadn't left my house in 62 days other than to take the girls to and from school. I was not eating, I was tired, Um, and my husband did return to the home. He had came back and that's what I wanted. I I was still broken, I was still lost, I was still living in darkness. Started experiencing physical pain, um, pain in my back, pain in my neck, my shoulders. I was having all of this pain and so I had gone to the doctor and they told me that Um, It was because I was stressed and I kind of laughed and thought, well, you know, if you only knew what I have gone through, you'd understand, but it's just me. This is the way that I'm going to live and, you know, nobody can really see it, but I'm more broken than people realize I am and pain became so bad. I was, I, I just wanted to sleep all the time. When I was asleep, I wouldn't feel the pain. I got my kids up for school. Um, I would go back to bed when they were went to school and I'd wake up before they got off the bus and get them and take care of them for the evening and that was it. But yet, I wasn't getting better. I am what I've done. So it's not just that I lied, I become a liar. I am what's done to me. So it's not just that you've been divorced, you become betrayed. You carry rejection. And as a result, there are different layers of darkness, right? There's some darkness that looms over our life like a shadow. It darkens our joy and it dampens our perspective. It it leaves us uh, groping in darkness. But then there's another darkness that's kind of sticky. It attaches itself to us. It's it's those labels that are hard to wash off. On, On April 20th, 2010, an explosion occurred deep down underwater in the Gulf of Mexico at the deep water horizon uh, well in the Meccano uh, oil exploration area owned by BP. And the explosion occurred, and as a result, 11 individuals uh, died, and then many others were uh, horribly injured. And that began an incredible story, a a news cycle that kept us glued to the, the TV and watching news because after the explosion and after the initial eruption, after the initial tragedy, Another tragedy continued to unfold, and that was that once it exploded, oil continued to pour out of that well for 87 days. 
pumping 210 million gallons of oil into the Gulf of Mexico, darkening the pristine waters of the Gulf, covering the, these beautiful beaches with black oil and covering wildlife, you know, just killing fish, destroying the, the businesses of the owners right there on the coastline, infuriating residents, leaving people generally frustrated. And you and I watching this unfold, we're like getting insane going, why can't they just plug this well? 87 days of oil just pumping and destroying uh, the, the, the Gulf. And it became the largest man-made oil spill in human history. And as a result, our federal government said, somebody needs to pay for this. It cost, the, and so over the next couple of years, as the cleanup continued, uh, they, they focused on BP. They said somebody needs to pay for this. So BP started shelling out and shelled out $42 billion uh, toward cleanup. And then federal government said, you not only need to pay for the cleanup and uh, you know, give reparations back to businesses and the loss from residents, but then they took him to court as a, and as a final settlement, the overall package became the largest single legal settlement in human history. So the, the largest oil spill became the largest settlement, a total of $60 billion that BP had to spend out or, or dish out because of this explosion that happened, uh, costing lives and costing incredible ecosystem damage and death and, and trouble and loss of uh, business uh, and, and, you know, just the overall expense to the residents and, and the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the region there. And as you hear that, you think, what a horrific situation, but I believe it's mild in comparison to the explosions, the tragedy, and the mess that is created in our lives on a nearly daily basis. An explosion occurs in your relationship. Something erupts, someone does something, you did something wrong, someone did something to you, and what was done to you defined you. What you did defined you. It's who we become. And immediately after that explosion, there is the initial damage, there's the initial loss of life, there's the loss of relationship, but then after the explosion, the spewing starts to occur. And then it carries on day after day, darkening what was otherwise a beautiful relationship, what was otherwise a beautiful life. It begins to cover everything, not just with darkness, but with an oily, sticky darkness, something that you can't just wash away, something you can't just kind of wipe away. It, it sticks to us, it attaches itself to us, it begins to define us. It's not just what was done to us, it's who we become. And that oily, sticky substance begins to change our view. It, it covers our joy. It suffocates our vision of life. And when other people look at us, they can see it. They see the oily, sticky darkness that covers our life instead of what our life could have been. And what do we do? When our past becomes our present, when the pain and the explosions and relationships and what we did and what was done to us is carried into this moment, what do we do now? And how does God look at people? 
that are covered in that oily, sticky, the stickiness of labels and regrets and shame and the overall yuck that we drag from our past into our present. What does God do when he sees people that are caught and trapped in the mess of life? And so I thought we would just jump in and we're we're going through a, a series looking at different stories that John included in his gospel. This guy, John, was an eyewitness of the life teachings of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Later in his life, he went, he sat down and recorded what we call the gospel according to John, but basically it's just his eyewitness uh, perspective of what he experienced in relationship with Jesus. And on this particular day, uh, we're going to read in John chapter 8, a story that John experiences. Uh, 8 verse 3. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And all of a sudden she goes from being caught in a horrific act to becoming that. It defines her. They drag her in front of this whole crowd of people to embarrass her, to shame her, to call her out. But worse, in the law of Moses, it commands us to stone such a woman. They want to kill her. Now what do you say? They were using these questions as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So here's what's going on. Jesus has a crowd of people around and he's teaching them. He's teaching them the ways of God. He's teaching them about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king, right? And so he's saying, here's how you can have God as the king of your life, the king of your home. And, And these guys, these leaders, these teachers of the law and Pharisees who would be the Jewish elite, the religious elite, they catch this woman in the act of adultery. They drag her to Jesus, but their primary goal is they trap her so they can trap Jesus. What's going on? Well, you have, usually you have two different groups of people uh, in this kind of a situation. You see it here. You have the religious people who are just looking around to condemn and accuse. And so they're wondering, will Jesus condemn and accuse this woman? Jesus who says, and we believe, he is perfect and holy. Holy means that he not only is perfect, but nothing imperfect can stand in his presence. So the Pharisees are like, all right, let's see how Jesus responds to a woman clearly caught in a very unholy act. And will he, like us, condemn her and pick up a stone and throw it as well, which would contradict his message of the kingdom of God being present and a God of love who forgives. Then there's the crowd. The crowd who just kind of joins in the frenzy and they just kind of go one way or the other. Or will Jesus excuse? Oh, it's not a big deal. It's no big deal that she did what she did. And some of you, that's your view. That's how you view others. You just kind of ignore it. You write it off. You just say, God is a permission-giving God, and anything goes. But interesting, in this story, it's kind of a neither situation. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. 
There's something interesting because uh, scholars of the Bible and, and people who would be familiar with this ancient time, there, there's some speculation as to what Jesus was writing on the ground. And many of them have come to this conclusion that when Jesus knelt down, he wasn't just scribbling on the ground. What he was doing was he was writing a list of sins. He was writing out the list of the things that these guys had done wrong. He was, in essence, calling them out. And, and so, you know, maybe you've been in a situation where you noticed someone else did something wrong, and you really, like, you wanted to, you wanted to call it out, like, man, my, my coworker cheated, my classmate, they, they cheated on that test, and it's like you want everything in you to call them out, and then here's Jesus saying, okay, you want to call her out? You want to throw stones at her? How about this? And he begins to write in the sand their sins. And interestingly enough, you know, these guys, they caught her in the act. Like, what a bunch of perverts. They were waiting for this moment. And what Jesus is saying is, here you are, ready to kill this woman. Meanwhile, you're no different than her. You're doing the very same thing. In fact, in, in this ancient time, they, they were the guys who made the laws. And so they would make the laws and give themselves permission. Basically, they had degrees of how far you could go in an affair before it was considered adultery. So that they were, in essence, creating all these little ways that they could cheat the system. And Jesus is just writing it out. Really? You, you want to throw the first stone? How about you? Here's your wrongdoing. And how about you? Here's what you've done wrong today, right? And you kind of get this picture of Jesus kind of parading their sin. And, and the goal is not to just, it's, the goal is not embarrassing them. He goes like this, all right, whichever of you, has no sin. Even those of you, any of you who have not sinned in the same way, go ahead, you throw the first rock. And they begin to drop their stones. And do you think Jesus' goal is just to expose everyone? No. No, there's a very specific reason why Jesus in this situation responds the way he does because it's the way the story concludes. And so I'm going to jump down and I'm going to read verse 12 of John chapter 8. It's this. When Jesus spoke again to the people, so the story concludes, the situation is over. Now it's the first moment where Jesus is going to teach again. And when he spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. There is a principle that comes off the pages of a story from ancient history in the life of Jesus. It's not just that Jesus turns on the light and can call out and expose any sin. It's that Jesus says, I am the light. And because Jesus is the light of the world, it changes our life. How? I want to encourage you to take notes. In your program, there's a place to take notes. In the study guide we give you, there's a place to take notes. Feel free to use a smartphone, a tablet, the chat section. If you're, if you're with us online, there's a place where you can take notes. If you're, if you're on uh, Facebook Live with us, you can type notes right into the comment section. We don't really care where you take notes. Just take notes, all right? Write this down. This is the key that you and I can apply to our lives. We are made new to live new. And man... When the oily, sticky, 
darkness of life has attached itself to you, the idea of being made new is incredibly attractive. Some of you, you've tried to scrub yourself emotionally. You've tried to wash yourself, your mind and purge your thinking of what's been done to you or what you've done wrong that's still clinging to you. Some of you, you physically have tried to wash yourself, hoping that would cleanse you spiritually, and yet no such outcome has occurred in your life. And you and I continue to carry that sticky oil. And, and what's interesting, maybe you've personally experienced this, the harder you try to get rid of it, the more it spreads. Uh, it, it's like maybe you, you cook bacon. I do this a lot. And so, but when you're done with bacon, once after you've enjoyed eating it, uh, what happens is it leaves this pan with that horrible white bacon grease. And then me, I try to scrub it with the sponge. And then you go to wash other stuff and it just gets everywhere. It gets, it makes everything greasy. And, and like, I don't know. And I think very similar in our life, that sticky, greasy substance, it spreads. It begins to spread to other relationships. And someone who never wronged you gets hurt by you because that oily darkness spreads and it, it dampens our joy. It suffocates perspective and it leaves us with just yuck. And the idea of being made new is attractive, but no matter how hard we try, we can't make ourselves new because deep down there is this explosion that allows what's in us to come out of us and isn't that reality whatever is coming out of you exposes what's in you and if you've been hurt and anger's coming out it's because you've been harboring bitterness resentment and revenge if frustration and, and, and mistreatment is coming out of you it's because what you're harboring is simply spewing a phrase we use often is what spills is because of what's what fills, right? Whatever fills, spills out. And so our best attempts to try to be made new never work. And the worst part is that what has erupted inside of us is far more destructive than we realize. It's not just that we're a victim of some hurt or abuse. It's not just that we've done wrong and what we did defines us. It is that at the root, what has exploded in our life is what biblical authors authors call sin. Sin is the self-sabotaging instinct in every one of our lives. It is the source of wrong desires. It is the source of the explosion. It is the fuel that drives the darkness. Sin explodes in our life, wrecking us, covering us with that oily darkness. It is what pours out of us, ruining relationships, but worse, it cuts us off from relationship with God. Sin destroys relationship with God, and as a result, after it causes all of this destruction, the payment of sin is eternal judgment. So we go on living forever, suffering the consequence of a life lived in sin. That's the darkness. That's the bleakness that is not only on us, but is ahead for us. But God was unwilling to leave us in our darkness. So he intervenes in our life. Jesus comes to earth, just like he met this woman who was caught in the act. He intervenes in her story and then concludes by saying, I am the light of the world. And him being the light of the world is an invitation that we can, be, we can be made new so that we can live new. See, here, here's how this works. Who I was 
can intersect with who Jesus is so that I can have a now I am story. I can be made new. And we want you to know that Jesus is the one who makes all things new. And in fact, we want to share a little more of Kiki's story. So check this out. After watching the sermon online and realizing that I could possibly be depressed, I then went to a counselor. I felt worse leaving the counselor than I did um, when I first went. Taking medication was against everything that I had ever believed. I was talking to a friend about depression and she explained it to me in the way that God anointed man to make medicine to take in the interim until you can be healed through Jesus Christ. And I thought, okay, now it's okay. And so I went back to the doctor and told them that the counselor hadn't uh, diagnosed me with depression and anxiety and that I needed medication. Started taking the medication and at that point, um, I continued to pray and pray that God would heal me. I began to experience joy and happiness again. I started sleeping less. I started uh, to be able to function in the daily tasks of life again. I was able to be there for my girls and be there for my husband. It wasn't until that point where I forgave myself that I was able to forgive my husband and my marriage began to heal. Being depressed is not something that anybody wants to admit or believe, but I do believe that um, God can heal you. So he was been my healer and um, without him being by my side and giving me the strength to continue and wouldn't be where I am today. And I just thank him each and every day for all that he has done in my life. It takes, it takes a lot of courage for Kiki and for others to say, hey, I want to share with you my story. But what's amazing, and I hope this is why we share their stories with you, so you can see how somebody says, I am in darkness. I was carrying depression. What happened to me began to define me and began to shape me. It stuck to me. But then I met Jesus, and Jesus changed everything, and now I am. Now I am new. Now I have light in my life. And here's what we know that works not just in Kiki's life, but in every one of our lives, that even though I was in darkness, even though I was depressed, even though I was defined by the things that happened in my past, I met and I can meet Jesus who said, I am the light of the world. And when the light of the life of God intersects with my darkness, he illuminates and brings light and life into me. And now I am made new. And so that's what I would encourage you to write down today. How can we experience this? Well, the first thing I want you to say, we are made new. Not on your own, not through your best efforts. In fact, that's what I would challenge you. When you look at and you survey your life and what you see is an oily substance blackening and darkening your life and your perspective, suffocating joy. I want you first to acknowledge, I can't clean this up on my own. My life is past the point of repairing it myself. I need intervention. And that was certainly where this woman found herself. 
She finds herself in a place where she can't fix this. She can't clean up the mess. She's been exposed to an entire crowd of people. She's standing before Jesus, the Holy One, who even if no one else can condemn her, he can certainly condemn her. And we find ourselves in a similar spot, in a, in a big mess of our own making and what's been done to us, exposed and in trouble, and there's no way we're getting out of it. And we stand before God. And now what is God's response to us? And the response Jesus gives to this woman is this, right? He, he stoops down, he's riding. He says, all right, whoever, whoever is without sin, you throw the first stone. But then let's jump to verse nine. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, maybe because they had a longer list and it was easy for them to find their sin in the list of the things Jesus was writing until only Jesus was left. And here's the moment. What will the holy, perfect God say to a very unholy and imperfect woman who's covered by the mess of her life? Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. And the, and the message is this. Because at the conclusion, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, right? The, the message is that Jesus flicks on the light in every one of our lives. And what does light do? Light does first expose. There's a story of when the, when the light bulb was first invented and people had access to it. They could put electricity in their homes and they could install light bulbs, right? So this is a little further down the road, right? It's not when it first came out, but when people could actually have access to it. So there was a story of this family who they had electricity in installed and they, they had the light bulbs in, installed in their home and they had all their friends and family over to see the, the switch flicked and the lights come on. And so it was like a lot of anticipation. People are crowded in the house and then here is the moment of truth. They flick the lights on and it went from an initial like wow to horror because for the first time, this bright light illuminated how filthy the house was. And neighbors were horrified. You, you're a horrible housekeeper. Look at the disgustingness of this house. You could, for the first time, see the cobwebs. You could, for the first time, see how gross the floor was. You know, in the dim candlelight, you can't see all this stuff. But now with, with you know, bright light, you can see how filthy it is. And, and first, there's this moment where Jesus, as the light of the world, he illuminates the and exposes the darkness, the sin in our lives. And, it, and it's a reproach, right? We're like, ugh, gross. And many of the neighbors and friends who left that house after the first embarrassing moment, they decided they would never have electricity and, and light brought into their home. I mean, why expose my filth? But you know what this family did? I mean, there's no going back, right? I mean, they already got everything installed. They, they decided to do, to do a deep clean. And so what was initially an exposure of the filth became an opportunity for their home to be truly clean. And, and that's what Jesus does. He exposes, but his light is not exposing so that he can embarrass and humiliate. His light exposes so that he can do a deep clean. He wants to transform. He is the only one that can enter into our life and truly cleanse. He does not condemn. Here's what Jesus does. 
and what he did for this woman. Jesus takes the filth in our lives. He collects up the oily, sticky substance from our lives and he put it on himself. He took that eternal death sentence that we deserve for our wrongdoing and sin and he put it on himself so that when he died, he died once for all. His death, an eternal death, a spiritual death, so that when he died, he died in our place. He absorbed our judgment. He paid for our sin. So that when we believe in Jesus by faith, our sins are forgiven. The oily, sick, sticky substance that was attached to us is, was poured onto Jesus so that it could be removed from our lives, our shame and guilt removed, and we are transformed. How? Because when you believe in Jesus by faith, and you ask him to forgive you of your sins, that's not where the story ends. What supernaturally and spiritually happens is God's spirit enters into our spirit, and when his spirit is alive in our spirit, his spirit is cleansing us, washing us. His light is exposing to cleanse. Now you're made new. You can't do this on your own, but when you have God's spirit alive in your life, and when I have God's spirit alive in my life, his spirit is at work making, initially we are made new, and then he's at work making us new. There's a passage in Corinthians, Paul's writing, he says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. You are literally reborn. You, are, you become something you could never be on your own. You are washed. You are cleansed. You are forgiven. And that's the radical idea. So how do you receive this? Well, first you have to believe that God forgives, that there is nothing you've ever done or could ever do that is beyond the reach of God to forgive. He can clean up any mess. He can wash away any oily stickiness. There is no disaster, there is no explosion that goes beyond God's capacity to extinguish the fire and clean up the mess. But not only do you have to believe it, but you have to receive it. Say, God, it's not only that I believe you can forgive someone else, I believe you can forgive me. And actually allow him to forgive you, which leads to the third step. This one's actually one of the more difficult ones, and that is to be willing to forgive yourself. You and I, sometimes we're, we're carrying labels. Others have stopped calling us that. Others have stopped pointing out that story, but we continue to wallow in self-pity and insecurity and self-doubt. We keep reminding ourselves of who we are and who we've been, but, but this story reminds us, says, no, 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 we are made new, and, and then here's that next step. You are made new to live new. Check it out. In the story, this is what we see in verse 11. After he says, has anyone condemned you? He says, well, then I don't, he goes like this, no one, sir, she said, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. So here is the moment of forgiveness. Here is the moment where Jesus removes her wrongdoing and sin, but then it doesn't stop there. Go now and leave your life of sin. And then the very next teaching, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. If anyone is in me, you do not walk in darkness. So here is the, so he the, the sin is exposed, the light goes on. All sin is exposed, light comes on in every one of our lives. But then he says to her, you're forgiven, now go and leave your life of sin. If anyone is in me, you have the light of life, now you do not walk in darkness. You are made new to live new. God does not forgive you so that you can go back to the life he rescued you from. 
Interestingly, in the story where Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it, it was happening during a holiday season in this Jewish community and in the Jewish, in, in, the, in the nation of Israel. The, the holiday was called the Festival of Lights. It was a celebration, a reminder of what happened in their ancient history after God had delivered the people out of Egyptian slavery. The story says, and history says, that the people are escaping, they're leaving Egypt, but then the the Egyptian army came after them to destroy them. But God's presence showed up like a pillar of cloud by day, meaning a, a huge like sandstorm or a, a giant cloud so that the Egyptians couldn't get through and a, and a fire by night. And then when they were in the wilderness, as God was leading them, he led them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And the message was when they would celebrate this, they would light the menorah as a reminder that God's light guides and protects. And so Jesus in this situation, and he says, I am the light of the world. I am the God that forgives and rescues you out of slavery. I am the God that protects and I am the God that guides you into new life. You are made new to live new. The light of Jesus Christ illuminates a new path for you. You couldn't see it before because you were walking in darkness. His light gives you purpose. It restores dignity. It washes away the darkness. It gives you perspective. It gives your life meaning. It gives your life hope. His light not only shines and shows sin, but removes sin and opens up a new lighted path into God's purposes. And as you begin to walk with a new life, with Jesus as the light of the world in you, there's a final part of this. He begins to shine through you. So we are made new to live new, but we are also made new so that we can mirror the light of God. We are made to mirror. You are not the source of light. You are simply a recipient of the light of Jesus. And when his light shines in your life, it exposes sin so that Jesus can cleanse us of sin, forgive us of sin. But then as we are transformed, his light shines in us so his light can shine through us. When you read in Jesus' teaching recorded by Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus says, remember, we're talking about light that leads to forgiveness. He goes, forgive us. So Jesus is teaching us how to pray. And he says, when you pray, pray like this. Forgive us our debts. Cleanse me. Wash me. As we also forgive, uh, have forgiven our debtors. For if we have forgiven men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. After the explosion and the mess and the 87 days of oil grossness that's plaguing the Gulf of Mexico, somebody must pay, somebody owes, somebody's in debt and better clean up this mess. So Jesus says, I will take the debt. I will clean up the mess, not only for you, but for those that have wronged you, those that have hurt you. Now you're made to mirror. You're not only forgiven, you, have to, you and I have to believe that we're forgiven. We have to receive that forgiveness. Then we have to be willing to forgive ourselves. But there's one more, and it's a difficult step, and that is to be willing to share forgiveness. 
God not only sets, uh, rescues us, and then does not put us back into the life he rescued us from, right? We're made new to live new. He rescues us, makes us new, but then doesn't want us to go and hold others in debt. He doesn't want you going out and demanding payment for all of the wrongs that have been done in your life. He doesn't want you to shine light on others' sins so you can make them feel bad and condemn them and judge them. No, he wants his life and his light to shine through you with the same warmth that he brought into your life. His light that does expose, but also cleanses and heals and makes new. And Jesus said, our challenge is that as we are forgiven, we forgive. Who do you need to now go and forgive? Who's, who owes you in debt? And it's time for you to allow Jesus to have forgiven that debt. This isn't just a maybe. This isn't just a good idea. This isn't good counseling. This is the command of Jesus. If you've received forgiveness from God, you are mandated to forgive. Whether they ask you for forgiveness or not, whether they act forgiven, whether they are changed or not, you and I are responsible to allow the light of Jesus to transform our relationships because we are changed. Who I was intersected with who Jesus is, and now I am. And because I am I am no longer in darkness because I am in the light of the life of Jesus. I am a mirror of his light, his life, and his love. That changes everything. Now, how does God want to change your life today? There's some of you, you're dripping with the oily substance. It's all over you and you can see it and everyone else can see it. But today... It's time for you to be forgiven. It's time for you to experience the transformation that occurs through faith in Jesus Christ and allow him to make you new so that you can begin to live new. And if that's where you're at, then you're, this is your moment of prayer to pause and say, Jesus, forgive me, I repent, and I want to receive your spirit and my spirit. Others of you, you've been made new, but you're not living new. You're wallowing in, the self, in self-pity from the past. Meanwhile, God's made you new. So you can live new. And others of you, you're being selfish and you're hoarding the newness that comes through the light of Jesus Christ. And it's time for you to begin to mirror that light to others. So I want you to pause for a moment and pray. How does, how do you need to allow the light of Jesus to change your present moment? Would you take a moment? Would you pray? Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.